receiving a signal from another planet. Fanboy planet. Watch animated chicks with inflatable breasts. You might be a Trekkie. Sit back and watch as the Uber geek goes and kicks it up a notch. Turn to the letter F in your dictionary and add this word to your vocabulary. Take a look, cause I'm the real McCoy. Damn it, Jim, I'm not a doctor. I'm just the definition of a fanboy, baby. Kings and Assassins. It's a really quick. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, to be honest. You don't play games? No, I do. Yeah. But I'm occupied right now. What are you uh, playing? So, uh, well, I was playing Disney Heroes Battle something. Battlefield. All the violent stuff. Just go with Assassins. They're not violent. No. It's, you know, I've got Buzz Lightyear fighting uh, the Yak from Zootopia. It's very good. And, uh, and I just downloaded Pocket Morty finally. So, oh, yeah. That's uh, fun. Did you ever play any of the original Pokemon games? Not any of the original ones, Because no. it's a parody of those. I understand that. Yeah. I do get that. But uh, I, again, must say, you act as if I don't have a 14-year-old son who, uh, the only reason I started playing Pokemon Go was to uh, understand half the things he was telling me about Pokemon at the time. Did he have a Game Boy then? Or? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he's, had, he's played all of the Pokemon games. Okay. Because they did a pretty good backdating, like you could download from when the Nintendo Network was. Right, up. right, right. He played everything. You go all the way back to the original Game Boy. And ones? he also had a cousin, older cousins that had been there mm. the first wave. So mm-hmm. he's played everything. So you had somebody, I am stuck. What do I do? The only thing I, I think potentially he hasn't played is that uh, photo game for Pokemon that was on the N64. We had that one. That was crazy. Yeah. No, that yeah. was fun. That was like the, oddly enough, the Nintendo 8-bit had Darkman. Yeah. The Darkman game was that. Like, if you took pictures, the better your pictures were, the better he could make his face. There was a thing with the Ninten- with that, that photo thing. You could take your memory stick into the game store and have things printed out for you. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. That was expensive. Well, we, sure. But we not, didn't do that much. But isn't it, you know, you could just do that, you know, at home. You transferred over digitally, you know. You, and this is before most people. Had I know. I know. Cameras. I'm understand. I'm just saying. It's yeah, yeah. Every now and then, like I had this moment today when I was working, and I looked, and I had my iPad next to me, and I had two phones because I have a personal phone and a, a work phone, and just sitting there going, like, I have four screens, uh-huh. three of which I carry with me everywhere I go all the time. Right. One of which, the laptop, I don't, but I was like, I could watch TV. I could play a game. If you had told me as a kid that I would achieve this moment, it's like every time, it's one of the, I just had one of those days where it was like, every time we whine about something not right. working, and right. I go, right. I remember a time when we couldn't even imagine this working at all. And yes. now it does. Yes. And you have to go back in time and say, well, the good news is you'll have the bad three screens. The bad news is... You won't have time to watch any of them. You're going to learn really a lot about how Congress and the Senate works. (laughs) And it's an addiction. It is, you know, or doesn't work for that matter. So... Mm. Ah. Ah. There it is again, my child. Ah. Which movie was that? I don't know. It's really an impersonation (laughs) of... uh, 
uh, Ralph Garman's impersonation of Charlie oh, okay, Nelson. Okay. And that's how he always gets into when they ask on, on Hollywood Babylon, you know, could you do Charlton Heston? Can Charlton Heston say happy birthday? Ah, Rick, happy birthday. Yeah, so. Which I do actually have to get into character when I do uh, the once every two years voice for Lon Lopez's action figure action oh, yes. movie. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Although I think actually that is, I've got my key line, you'd like to hear it, it's from the sure, second film, sure. which is... <clears throat> Now bring me the scientist. It's sort of my Peter yeah. Cullen, uh, Optimus Prime. That it, I, it did kind of sound like Heston's in there too. Now bring me the scientist. Yeah, Soylent Green is made of people. Anyway, or um, clay in this case. They're not made of clay. I know. They're plastic. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. It's so we can. It's almost like a pre-show yeah. ad there for the Toy Expo debut of. The Furious Gospel of Jan- Johnny Tan. I actually remembered the title. There you go. Uh, chapter three of Action. Is that available on the inner tubes anywhere yet? Not yet. No, it's going to make its. Uh, it's going to have its world premiere Saturday at, at uh, Toy, Toy Expo. Expo. But I did get to see it last week, and mm-hmm. it's actually commercial. Look good. Let me fr- let me phrase that. It, it is the most ambitious, and it is the best, and it actually has the most good. If you didn't know that there were two other chapters. It wouldn't matter. Right. It's, it's the one that finally, like, it's the the one that stands on its own in terms of, oh, it's entertain. It's completely instead of, oh, there's a cliffhanger. There is for this, but it didn't need it. It's like boom. It's this center. It's a it's a good first installment of a different kind of story, but it's not. It's all tying in. Has he got these all planned out for the next fifteen episodes? I don't know. Or is he doing a whole George Lucas thing? Yeah, saying I had I, it planned from I the beginning. A, yeah, we should. I be, forget who. Fear we, episode four. Someone just posted. They got a letter from him, some creator, where George Lucas confessed he was making it up as he went along. Uh-huh. Which, of course, we all knew. As I, I always have to tell people, is like when you're a, when you've been a geek as long as we have. And you were reading Starlog, and yes. you were absorbing everything that the guy said. Yes, yes. You can't tell me that reality changed. Yes. You know when he when he no, now I mean, said this is the way I always wanted to do it. No, that's not what he said. This is not you know, and it's and, not what you told Jim Stranko back in nineteen. Well, you know, people say that about Empire Strikes Back. He had a plan. I'm like, no, he didn't. And famously, and then I'll roll in. Famously, like the whole thing with Return of the Jedi, Han was supposed to die. Yes. And then he it's like. That would hurt toy sales. So, yeah, tragedies don't sell. You don't see a lot. I right. Mean, I, I think I've seen a Macbeth action figure, but no, you don't see a lot are. of them. You they're don't see a lot are. of them. No, there's not a it's whole It's right on next to the Ruth, 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 Ruth by Gator Bing, Bader Ginsburg. That one's selling very well. Yes. The Ruth the Bader Kickstarter, Ginsburg, Kickstarter uh, one. which I believe now RBG is on Netflix, I think. So I've uh, got to watch that because I've heard it's a fantastic documentary. They have, they have like, there are five figures there's obama there's hillary there is bernie there is ruth i think there's somebody else but i you can't get a package that is obama hillary and um ruth you you, bernie's in there one way or the other well you either you you don't get obama and bernie i think in the same package it's like what yeah it's weird it's weird okay well all right uh but which effigy am I going to blame for all my woes if I don't have? Yes. I okay. mean, one or the other. All right. So, hey, uh, this is Derek McCaw, editor-in-chief of FanboyPlanet.com. 
And this is episode. Wait, I've got, I've got these numbered. I kind of like that. I know, I'm looking. No, this is five twenty. Five twenty. See, I'm looking. You're Sorry. not. I wrote. I go to the trouble to write the numbers. I'm out. more anxious for five twenty one. I know five twenty one is going to be more fun. And the reason we're saying this is because we are going to record two episodes tonight because we missed one last week. I'm sure the people listening will have a great time with 520. I'm not meaning that 521 was yeah, worse. Yeah, it, just it, it, shut better. up, back away. We yes. may have to let's just start the whole thing over again. No, Begin it with shut up and back away. This is Derek McCaw, <laughs> editor in chief of FanboyPlanet.com. And uh, we are, this is episode 520, and I, we are sitting at the Brett Cave in an undisclosed location, other than calling it the Brett Cave, somewhere in San Jose. And across from me, running the board and drinking the coffee. And drinking his coffee and. Running his mouth. There it Rick is. Rick Brett Snyder. There we go. And uh, so we've got a special tonight. Episode 520 is all revolving around Worldcon, which if you've been a regular listener, you've heard ads for Worldcon, Worldcon. for at least the last month. So uh, tonight the ad is actually for my book, I Was Flesh Gordon, Fighting the Sex Ray and Other Adventures of an Accidental Porn Pioneer. I think that's the first time I've said that title out loud without screwing it up. Yay. Yeah, I feel I feel good because we've gone through a few titles. You're changes. ready to go on a book tour now. I'm ready to go on a I'm I don't don't tempt me. Anyway, uh I was Flesh Gordon is available through Amazon and uh we are having a, a signing actually if you are in the Bay Area at Elusive Comics and Games on Wednesday, September nineteenth from six to nine PM and I get to say they got all the books in, they put up a display now so you can buy the book in advance and be ready to get in line. It was a beautiful thing. I'd never seen so many books that had my name on them. At- Did they have a display? Yeah. Or, 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 other than stack, but was there any like cardboard cut out of Flush Gordon or anything? Uh, no, 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 no. But they did have a big photo of me, a little, uh, you know, actually a little flyer that said, this is where the signing is. And uh, cool. so 6 to 9. So show up uh, on September 19th. They'll be happy to, to, to sign books, talk comics, and uh, and so forth. Uh, very excited there for I Was Flesh Gordon. And if you are not in Santa Clara, California, again, you can find it at Amazon. So I do want to say, of course, in addition to listening to us on your favorite podcatcher, Apple, Apple Podcast, I believe we're on Google Play, you can find us on Podcast Pickle, Stitcher app, there are others. Uh, you can, of course, uh, if there's anything we talk about tonight, and there may be because of what we're talking about tonight, that you cannot find at your local brick-and-mortar store, such as I Was Flesh Gordon. If you can't find it there, buy it on Amazon. There's a, a link to I Was Flesh Gordon on each and every page of Fanboy Planet because, doggone it, it's my site. I am going to to advertise the book I wrote. Sure. And, uh, but there's also, it's also a ser- there's also a search box, and anytime you go through that search box or links that we put directly into articles – we get a small little kickback on that little taste to help us support, uh, defray the cost of, of of supporting this website, of paying for the site and, and the podcast because it ain't free, people. Anyway, also the same thing goes for Think Geek. We have ads there. An update you go through those ads. Uh, there's a small kickback there. You got a new bag from Think Geek, didn't you? It was beautiful, and I was not the only one. I saw, I think at least five other people at Worldcon. Actually, when we were on that panel. And I, I would kick something under the table, and I pulled it up, and it looked like your bag, but it had all, like, lady badges on it. And I went, this is not Derek's. This lady badges? It had lady badges on it. And then it turned out it was someone who had already come in for the next panel and put her bag down. And oh, she was okay. like, what are you doing with my bag? <laughs> well, we broke the flow. But, but that's good. Yeah, I will talk about it. That's Yeah, that's one of the things you can get through Think Geek. 
And like I said, I saw a lot of people with it, and I was inspired because it does have this Velcro mm-hmm. pad, and I, I thought you were supposed to get go to the Think Geek booths at conventions. And someone said, no, 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 we just make our patches and, and put the Velcro backing on. Yeah, it's suddenly, a big deal. A lot of uh, military. And, I'm not a crafter, yeah. but you know, I do have a friend who makes patches, so I'm actually thinking about uh, reaching out to him and saying, uh, how about a certain idea or two? You and I can talk later. And looking into that. So, because I thought it was cool. I have my Comic-Con 2018 patch that came with it. And it's a great, it's just a cool bag. That's the new bag of holding, right? They call it, but it's the con, they call it convention edition. Ah. So I was talking with Kevin Andrew Murphy about it. He has one as well. And he ah. said, yeah, this is all we need. You yep. know, your tablet, yep. room for your tablet, lots of little pockets to put your little tchotchkes. Mm-hmm. Room for your books, two mm-hmm. slots for your books. That's all you need. It's fantastic. So I do love that. And I'm not just saying that. I really, really, as I loved the old bag of holding, This yep. it's nice for conventions. I love having my bag of holding for travel. I love this bag of holding for for conventions walking around. It's just the right size. Yep. And, of course, if you would just like to donate uh, to PayPal, that's it, to editor at fanboyplanet.com. If you'd like to contact us, if you've got any questions, comments, compliments, commentary, criticism, Right in to editor at fanboyplanet.com. That's the old-fashioned way of email. Of course, you can find us on Facebook at fanboyplanet there. And you can also find us on Twitter at fanboyplanet. And there is an Instagram account, which mostly photos. Again, I see it as just an opportunity to post photos. I don't yeah. see it. It's hard for me to type with my thumbs and make clever articles. I know there are people that do it well. Yes. I don't. But it's at fanboyplanet. So, please, we'd love to hear from you. If anybody writes into an article... Uh, writes in about something, you know, I will, I will read it. I, and I have gotten a, a text. I, uh, but in this one case, I apologize. Brian Kent, thank you for pointing something out to me. I realized I forgot to mention it to Rick. I'm going to mention it to him off the air rather than oh, on the air. That's okay. suspicious. Hmm. <laughs> right in if you want to find out what happened. Uh, maybe. Yeah, there you go. I'll email people personally. Uh, Brian was right. He pointed out something to me and I went, Ooh. Oh, thank you for pointing that out to me. And it is based on my habit of, I get tired of listening to me after I've talked. So I hadn't listened to something. So it's okay. I just want you to know that maybe you were not aware it happened either. So I'm just going (laughs) to, this gets so much so good, doesn't it? Anyway, uh, in many ways, I am surprised that we are upright. Uh, You in particular, Rick, right now uh, on Wednesday after Worldcon, because you and your lovely wife, Debbie Brechneider, worked your butts off as con uh, volunteers yep. and con crew for my very first world con. So thanks for volunteering to make my experience better. And But anyway, uh, we just w- went through that. And so we have a couple of interviews this week uh, in this week's podcast, and then we'll talk about world con itself. But they're both related to world con. First of all, they had the 1943 Retro Hugo Awards, mm-hmm. which I think is just cool that you're going back – to those times before the retro, before the Hugos, but then there, there was science fiction and it was building there, and in particular those from World War II where there's no way, because you didn't have world cons, right. um, thanks to that nasty little war, that they had these nominees. And discovered this year that if... So they fill in. They, they're they fill filling in, in the gaps, so their history will those be years. unbroken. Yeah. Yes. Uh, through a modern lens, which I think is kind of interesting, it's a I, perhaps a fun thought experiment or a panel some year like... What would this have won if you were a voter in 1943 instead of, oh, we already know these are classics? Yes. Um, Would something odd have snuck in? We'll see. But anyway, one of the best novella nominees was 
The Complete Werewolf by Anthony Boucher. Mm -hmm. And when that was announced, I realized, wait a minute, I know his son. So Wednesday night before Worldcon, Larry White, who is the son of Anthony Boucher and is friends with my mom, uh, invited me over to his house to sit and talk about his father's work. So I was very thrilled to sit among, sit in a room with uh, two Edgar Awards and the actual, I think it was the Hugo Given to BoucherCon, which is the fan-driven mystery convention that's celebrating its 50th anniversary next year. And to sit amongst the first editions of both his father's work and few years worth of original magazine of fantasy and science fictions mm-hmm. that were all stacked up so it was just got the right place to have the conversation to talk about the life and legacy of someone who's insanely influential in science fiction and that's anthony boucher so please enjoy this conversation about hugo nominee anthony boucher with Larry and i am one, grateful to be invited into your home. I, I'm at the home of Larry White, whose father, Anthony Boucher, is nominated for a 1943 Retro Hugo Award for The Complete Werewolf uh, as a best novel. And uh, people may know the name. I, I hope they know the name because there's, as you just mentioned to me, Larry, there's a next year is the 50th annual Boucher Con. So the, the biggest... Uh, the biggest mystery writer convention in, in America, and I guess the oldest at this point, is is uh, named after Anthony Boucher, who was a great mystery writer, but also known for, he was the editor of Fantasy and Science Fiction magazine, or the magazine of Fantasy and Science Fiction, which I remember reading a lot as a kid, and uh, just a great influence on, on all these genres, mystery, fantasy, and science fiction. So he started writing... Under the pseudonym, you and I were talking about this last night, H.H. H. Holmes. That was his second pseudonym. That was his second. What was his first pseudonym? The first pseudonym was Anthony Boucher. Okay. And then what what triggered him to become H.H. H. Holmes? Okay. Uh, first of all, he had to be Anthony Boucher, or he had to be not William White, which was his actual name, mm-hmm. uh, because uh, they actually looked up in, uh, I think it was Who's Who at the time was a... Uh, was a valid publication, and uh, there were 75 William Whites. So uh, he picked uh, Anthony was his middle name, and Boucher was an old family name. And so then that was his original writing name. So that he was writing under yes. Anthony Boucher, and then he chose America's yeah. first serial killer yeah. as, his, as a pseudonym. Because uh, he came up with a new series character, uh, Sister Ursula, and uh, for a different publisher... And uh, it was felt that he should have a different name, and he came up with H.H. H. Holmes, America's least known uh, prolific serial killer, I guess you could say. <laughs> well, yes, for those listening, uh, there's a great book about him, mm-hmm. The Devil in the White City. There's also uh, Rick yes. Erie had done uh, Treasury of Victorian Murder about H.H. H. Holmes. Mm-hmm. And I believe that was also uh, one of the seasons of American Horror Story kind of used the H.H. H. Holmes story as a launching point. So it's kind of, I mean, that's kind of a, a dark sense of humor. Would you uh-huh. say that was I would. pandemic to your dad? I would. And extended to, uh, he also availed himself of a reverse pseudonym by, uh, when he would do uh, light verse or pastiche things, he used the name Herman W. Mudgett, 
which is H.H. H. Holmes's real name. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so that's great. When you were growing up, how aware were you of, of your father's work? Very unaware. Uh, my brother and I were very dumb kids in that in that way. We didn't appreciate it. <clears throat> I don't think I ever read his work until I was eighteen or twenty. Uh, once to get us interested, he even hired us as uh, when he was editing the magazine of fantasy and science fiction. Uh, one of the stories uh, revolved around uh, a yo-yo expert, and we were very much into yo-yos at the time. And so he air quotes, employed us as uh, yo-yo experts to uh, help with the little, uh, to tweak little bits of the of the story. Uh, but even that didn't make us into uh, fans or, you know, get very attached to his work. Well, okay, so I, I think probably that's, that's true of, of Almost, a lot. Yeah. But when... You know, when when did you really? You said you read probably about eighteen or twenty. When did you become aware of his influence, his influence, his impact, and his work? What did that mean to you once you were realizing? Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, it was it was boggling uh, that. Uh, I mean, he, he he had great friends among the great writers of the time, and uh, li- living in Berkeley as he did. Uh, a lot of the writers who lived elsewhere uh, loved excuses to come to San Francisco and uh, be wined and dined uh, by my father. He, was, uh, <laughs> he, uh, he liked good times. They, uh, we lived a rather uh, pedestrian life most of the time, uh, uh, except for uh, when it came to uh, entertaining he was, uh, I don't know what you call it, the life of the party, I suppose, and, and uh, uh, very uh, bon- bonhomie. Yeah. Uh, uh, where are we going with this? <laughs> well, you know, just just saying that uh, of you probably had oh, some of the giants yeah. of the industry mm-hmm. uh, in your home, and and probably grew up surrounded by these people. But when she, but yeah. once you became an adult, you know, and mm-hmm. once you realized his impact. Mm-hmm. As you mentioned to me, you and your brother are essentially the estate in yes. uh, controlling uh-huh. that, and so you are keenly aware. Um, yeah, but uh, like every, uh, I suppose you'd say, offspring of a quote, great man quote, uh, it's, um, you feel like you don't, you know, why don't I measure up to what, what he did? He was so good at so many things and influenced so many people and lived in their hearts uh, that... Uh, so it's an, uh, an, an easy thing to uh, put oneself down for for not living up to that, uh, and, but also for uh, for not uh, kind of being in his world while he was around. You know, we were there, mm-hmm. but we weren't, uh, uh, I, I would say, appreciating it. it I think what? whatever your parents do, it's part of the furniture, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. What, what, what did you like? I mean, here he yeah. is writing fantasy, science fiction, mystery. Uh-huh. What were you into? Uh-huh. Yo-yos. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yo-yos and, uh, you know, staying out, uh, playing basketball in the playground all day till we had to come home for dinner. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
just, just things that yeah, and things that, that boys do. That's all. And now we were talking about this a little earlier, uh, but which do you prefer of his work—the mysteries, the science fiction, uh-huh. or the fantasy? Yeah, yeah. I'm surprised, and I don't know why that I, I like his uh, his science fiction much better than his mysteries. I, I generally read mysteries for pleasure rather than science fiction, but the uh, uh, the science fiction stories just his form of imagination and the way that he uh, builds his uh, social concerns into his science fiction, I think it lends itself a little better to uh, yeah. to that aspect of him. And I should say, I chose this room because it had most of his work in magazines were surrounded by some of this stuff, but I did. I've seen mystery books all around this house, so mm-hmm. it's it's clear. And, and that's interesting. So let's, let's talk about the story that's nominated, uh, the, the Complete Werewolf. So... When I was reading up on the, when I was reading the story, uh, thinking, okay, this Fergus O'Brien character is so oddly specific for who seems to be minor, and then I read that it's actually that's one of his continuing characters. Yeah, who's almost like a a background in in this. He's you know Mm -hmm. he's just sort of dry. He shows up from time to time. So you know, do you know any thoughts on why this detective, who has some very straightforward mysteries? Uh, suddenly comes into this supernatural story. No, uh, no special reason. Uh, this was, I believe, written after all of the uh, the, the seven full-length novels that he wrote. Uh, so Fergus O'Brien was an established character by then. And uh, in the earlier stories, it had so happened that uh, his sister, uh, Maureen... Uh, Maureen O'Brien? Maureen O'Brien was... Worked for a motion picture company, which is, uh, you know, yeah. key, key to this story, uh, and so that's and that's a hook to get Fergus O'Brien to be able to be on the scene. So, you know, why not bring in uh, one of your characters? For all he knew, he might have been writing Fergus O'Brien stories for the next ten years. But uh, yeah, although the novel stopped at that point. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> um, and there's definitely you were talking about growing up in Berkeley. This is definitely a story that takes jabs at academia and, and living there. And, and I mentioned uh-huh. there's a, a strong sense of, uh, though they don't, he doesn't name Anton LaVey, there is this big uh, sense of whether it's a con job or not uh, of people into the occult, which is also the subject right now of a CBS series, uh, Strange Angel, based on allegedly true events and so uh you know how how was your father's relationship with that kind of with that world going on you if that's if i didn't know it was that big in berkeley but from that story it seems like it was mm-hmm. um yeah isn't uh he's uh, i mean I'd, I'd say for the most part he was uh a very a very scientific logical mind but he was he was open to uh, things that couldn't be proven. Uh, he, he was very attracted to ufology. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, sort of the, uh, I mean, even the whole the whole uh, werewolf thing, besides the magic guy, uh, mm-hmm. kind of treads on where uh, there's things that we don't know for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, he doesn't want to. I think it's much like him to say, well, any, that any kind of aspect that people spend time on that you think might be a fringe thing is bunk. It, there, 
it's worth giving respect to. It's uh, an interesting possibilities how he's done that parallel between. Well, still being very logical. <laughs> there are there are the con men, the people that are clearly yeah, yeah, tr- yeah. you know suckering people in with the temple of the dark truth. I mm-hmm. think was what it was called. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, meanwhile, there's this actual magic. And I've tried. Mm-hmm. To, I've said Absarka several times out loud in the past week. Nothing has happened to me, but it's uh, it, it is kind kind of interesting. There he. And you mentioned, like, he didn't know if, if there was going to be an ongoing series, still be writing Fergus O'Brien for another 10 years. Mm-hmm. It's clear this story was setting up something more. Or, I I look at it from now, because, of course, in 2018, we look at everything like, oh, what was the franchise? What was the series going to be? Mm-hmm. I don't know that that's where he was going. Did he leave a lot of notes behind that, uh, that maybe were like, oh, I was thinking about this? Um, he never seemed to come back to Wolf Wolf. Yeah. No, I don't know of any. Uh, I don't know of any of that. Okay. And you know, and I'll just put in for the podcast here that, that if you haven't read the complete werewolf, and you should, uh, fun, very fun story. But also, I was talking with uh, with people last night. This was all. Kind of, it looks like this is the beginning of a genre, whether he meant to do it or not. And like I said, it's mm-hmm. odd that he threw it away. That that uh, wolf wolf is going to become. Military or government agent. He's mm-hmm. a G-man. I love that. You know, that, that, that's something that's gone there. Um, you know, that, that this is the beginnings which DC and Marvel have set up. Creature commandos yeah. And, yeah. And, uh, and the the Legion of Monsters. This idea of, oh, yes, we're going to weaponize the supernatural. And yet it just sort of, eh, oh, that's a fun idea. <laughs> and so, yeah. Interesting. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. Yeah, it's just kind of, kind of let me, yeah. and you say he's open, but you know I want to talk. So the book that I think that most people would be able to have access to for his fantasy science fiction um, at a reasonable price. <laughs> say, there are paperbacks that say like the the complete werewolf and other stories. Um, you know they haven't been around for a while, but you can find them at used bookstores and so forth. Mm-hmm. But we both have uh, different editions of the same the complete voucher, which is uh, listeners available on, on Amazon. And it's curated, or it says it is, curated in order of his favorite stories. What's his most favorite? Down to, you know, so The Complete Werewolf is number two. Number one is The Quest for Saints Aquin, um, which I got to say, I, I read this and again felt like a writer today could have told this story. You know, it, it felt that fresh. It's, you say he's open to the unknown and yet, here's a story that absolutely is challenging mm-hmm. theology. Um, in 1942, 43? Probably around that time. Sometime in the 40s. I mean, really, really short story, yes. an interesting time for that to have appeared. So, what stands out for you about that story? Uh, I should have probably cut this. I haven't read that in so long that I can't. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. I, I can't recall it. Okay. Um, well, you know, did that resonate in the home? I mean, you said he was into ufology, but here he's written this story in which um, he's talking about the, the need for belief while strangely disbelieving it. How did, how did that reflect mm-hmm. in, in, the, in the home? Okay. Well, uh, I suppose, that, yeah, an easy parallel to that would be that he, w- he was uh, a devout, lifelong Catholic, and you talk about him... Uh, his work being appropriate to now as much as to, to then. He was sort of ahead of the curve 
uh, with Catholicism too. When uh, when mm-hmm. uh, Vatican II came along and they turned the altar around and they started speaking in English and they started letting lay people part partake uh, conduct part of the service, he was he was there. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and his social attitudes are what you would expect of modern enlightened yeah. <laughs> you know reasonable liberalism uh, back then which yeah ahead of his time would, ahead of his time which a lot of people who think they always have been uh, you know generous liberal thinkers didn't didn't always have the best opinions back then you, you just yeah we evolve and he one of the things I, I was always the most impressed about by him, especially in retrospect, uh, was how evolved he was. Yeah, <laughs> compared to a lot of us. Yeah, yeah. Now, a story of his that I had read a, a couple of years ago was presented to me. Uh, I'll go full disclosure um, that you, uh, you, and my mom have been friends for a long, long time. And uh, she had told me that the story Star Bride, if, she, if I'm mischaracterizing what she said, let me know, um, that it was your favorite story of your father's or just made you think of your father yeah. the most. Uh, it particularly touched me. And in this, uh, this class that we, uh, that we both uh, go to, uh, I, I wanted, every now and then I talked about my father's history. It's a memoir class. And I wanted to try to typify his uh, his writing, and again, like like we're talking about his uh, enlightened social thinking, whatever you want to mm-hmm. call it. Uh, and uh, I th- I th- this story being very short, something that I could read in a few minutes. Uh, it's like two or three pages. It's not very long. Right. Uh, Beautiful piece, though. W- w- would epitomize that and give the class an idea of a little bit of what he was like Is from this, one of his stories. Yeah. yeah. Interesting alien invasion story that I also think was somewhat ahead of its time. So, okay, I, I'm just going to throw out. I'm just throwing out titles for listeners. So you got to find these stories. Yeah. They're really great yes. stuff. And all of the science fiction ones that Derek is mentioning are in this uh, complete voucher. Uh, yeah, about fifty of them. Yeah. Um, where do you see his legacy today? Uh, well, one obvious place to me is not in the science fiction side but uh, uh, the Vatican convention it, well science fiction related he uh, in the 50s and early 60s he was uh, he went to a lot of the science fiction conventions and he was often uh, invited to be a Toastmaster or a presenter of some kind uh, he and Robert Block were considered to be the primary the premier uh, Toastmasters and uh Bon vivants for the crowd. I, I am just imagining your dad and, and, and Robert Block together. Yeah, yeah. I would love to, to, yeah. to go back in time and sit in a yeah, party. I wish there was video of, of those. Uh, yeah. And uh, he would often loudly say to anyone <laughs> near shot that, why doesn't, why don't, why doesn't the mystery side have conventions like this? He thought that science fiction conventions were wonderful, of course. And uh, there was no nothing like that on the mystery side. So about uh, a year or two after he died, uh, a few of the uh, California fans actually did or, take up the the idea and uh, asked 
uh, asked my mother if she would mind whether they started a mystery convention and named it after and named it after my father. And her response was, uh, "Well, as long as there's going to be anything somber about it, <laughs> you know, as long as it's going to be a celebration." And, uh, a celebration so, of murder. We should <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so the first one was in 1970 with about uh, 60 people there in Los Angeles, and it's uh, it's grown tremendously since then, of course. And yeah. uh, thousands of people go, and all the top authors, and the, <laughs> the Anthony Awards, which are a big uh, yeah. deal in, uh, mystery, in mystery writing awards now. And, and I was remiss. We should mention we talked about in terms of his legacy. There really aren't film adaptations. He'd written radio mysteries, uh, Ellery Queen, I think, for a while. He had his own series. Yes, and uh, the Sherlock Holmes series for a while. Oh. Uh, the, the, yeah. The, he, yeah, he and... Uh, I was just reading up on this uh, yesterday that uh, Leslie Charteris of St. Fame mm-hmm. uh, and uh, uh, coincidentally a friend of my father's, Dennis Green, were writing the Sherlock Holmes radio series at the time in the mid-40s. And uh, Leslie Charteris got too busy, <laughs> and uh, a little thing called the same. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And so my father got invited to take his role, and uh, they did that together for about three years in the nineteen forties, as well yeah. as the Ellery Queen and another radio show called the Casebook of Gregory Hood, which was set in San Francisco. And the uh, uh, unique setup, I guess, the uh, Gregory Hood was in. Antique or fine art dealer uh, in San Francisco, and uh, each case would revolve around some crime involving uh, yeah. important uh, works like that. Yeah, uh, and then we were saying the complete werewolf, which is you read it and felt so cinematic. There had been a nibble, no pun intended, on a werewolf, but uh, you you'd had some interest from from Hollywood in recent years, right? Yeah. Uh, in around 2000, uh, Frank Darabont took out an option on that complete werewolf, and he thought, "Oh, but that would make a great movie." Yeah. <laughs> so, well, Frank Darabont said it might, and uh, for about three years he uh, renewed his option on it, but he finally dropped it. So it's available. I'm saying, people, if there's any agents listening or, or directors listening, uh, just mine through this book. I find every time I read a story, I go, I, I can see this. I can, I can see this. So I hope maybe somebody is listening and, and we could get some more interest in. So thank you so much for taking the time and inviting me into your house. And, and uh, I guess we will say, to, we often on this podcast say we're time traveling. So Good luck on the 1943, Hugo's, <laughs> and uh, I'll let you know what I hear. All right. Thank you, thank you Larry. Uh, I know you're listening, and thank you to my mother, because I think this is causing her to listen to it as well. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Hi, Mom. Anyway, uh, so a conversation I got to have at Worldcon was we talked a f- few months ago about the amazing story, literally, of amazing stories, the Kickstarter that was convinced it wasn't going to happen, and then it came through. But Amazing Stories did get funded. It's being revived, and they were there at, at WorldCon. Did you get a copy? Of Actually, it? they were very generous to the uh, charity auction. They gave me lots of books. I'm sure, but did you get a copy of the first issue? Yes, did, I did. You, okay, good. I just want to make sure I was... And I backed, I backed the Kickstarter, oh, too. Oh, no, I did, so, too, yeah. and you'll hear that in the interview. I, I yeah. got to step aside with... Uh, Ira Naiman, who is the editor-in-chief of Amazing Stories, and we talked about this revival. 
Ira Naiman. Hey, I'm at Worldcon with Ira Naiman, who is the editor-in-chief. Is that the official title? It is. It's a bit pompous, but, you know, it wasn't my choice. I'm happy with just editor, but... Okay, That's well, it's okay. I'm an editor in chief as well, and I have a staff of now two. So, yeah. you know, <laughs> we take what titles we can. Exactly. Uh, it, it's for other people. So, uh, editor in chief of? Uh, of Amazing Stories. That's Thank where I was getting to. So, yes, absolutely. <laughs> but then we started talking about titles themselves. So, and the title is Amazing Stories, which is a title with resonance and history, and to be honest, kind of odd to me that it had disappeared. So, you ran a Kickstarter campaign a few months back, uh, and we talked about it on the podcast. We, uh, both Rick Schneider and I, backed it. And one, it's a fantastic story, or shall we say, it's an amazing story of, it's almost a story in itself of the Kickstarter. Like, the last day, you sent out an email saying, it looks like it's not going to happen. You went away for a few hours, you came back and said, oh my God, it happened. So, let's... I've told the story, but let's talk about the emotion to it. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, well, yeah. Uh, I With a, about an hour left in the Kickstarter, we were $10,000 short. And we figured, well, you know, if we've only got at that point about $19,000 in 29 days and 23 hours, the odds of us getting $11,000 are quite low. So... <clears throat> I went out with my web goddess, uh, and, you know, basically it was a crying in your tea kind of thing where, yeah, um, it's it didn't happen, and the future of the magazine is up in the air. I come back home later that evening, um, you know, 11 midnight, whenever it was, to, to this, this load of emails congratulating me, and I'm like, congratulating me on failing? Why, why would you do that? Um, so it actually took me a while to figure out that in the last literally four minutes, um, we had an angel backer who made up the difference. One person who literally gave us oh. $11,000. Uh, and you're not allowed to. Techni- uh, oh, shit. Um, <clears throat> sorry. His wife gave us $1,000 and he gave us $10,000. So there's right. a $10,000 limit. We don't know who that was. So, so you, no, you so. left it anonymous. That's okay. But that's I wouldn't have known that either. I didn't know that about Kickstarter. But what inspired you? You had worked in the last incarnation of it. Uh, no. No. No, okay. actually. So what happened was ah, the last issue of uh, Amazing Stories was published in 2005. The owner of the name of Amazing Stories was uh, the game company TSR. Mm-hmm. The game company TSR was bought out by Hasbro. So now Hasbro owns the name Amazing Stories. Hasbro is a toy company. They have no idea about publishing, and they don't know what to do with it. So they, they essentially let the name lapse, their ownership of the name lapse. Uh, it was bought by a man named Steve Davidson. Um <laughs> He was in competition with a Canadian publishing group. Um, They published travel books. And they wanted amazing stories because they wanted to do a series of books um, about the amazing stories you get when you travel the world. Which um, They realized there was a history that meant something completely different, right? I have no idea what they thought, (laughs) frankly. It astounds me that they thought that it could be of value to them in any way, to be honest with you. 
In any case, they obviously decided the same because they didn't pursue it, and Steve Davidson eventually got it. So Steve Davidson, his end goal was to publish the magazine where we're at now. But uh, his immediate goal was to establish Amazing again, Amazing Stories again. So he started a website, and he immediately got people, science fiction fans literally from all over the world, to uh, contribute uh, non-fiction stories uh, to the website. And we've got, we've got correspondence in Latin America, we've got correspondence in China, Europe, like all over, right? Um, I came on board uh, about five years ago now. I just wanted to contribute book reviews, and that's what I did. Um, branched out occasionally into occasional opinion pieces, but mainly I focused on book reviews. Um, because I'm a writer, I write humorous science fiction, and I thought, you know, if I get my name out through Amazing Stories, people might be interested mm-hmm. in buying my books, right? Yeah. Um, and also because uh, I have written nonfiction on and off. I, In my younger days, I was a, a contributor to um, Creative, uh, Creative Screenwriting Magazine, because... I was a, a script geek before I was a prose geek, right? So I did a lot of screenwriting as well. Um, so I've done a lot of nonfiction writing, and I wanted to get my chops back up. I wanted to get back into it. Um, about a year and a half after I started at Amazing Stories, um, and this is kind of a sad story, but Steve's wife was diagnosed with cancer. And Steve had to step back from the a website to deal with, with his mm-hmm. wife's illness. Uh, so he asked me to take over editing the entire uh, website. And um, I was happy to do that for him. Uh, and it was great because I learned so much about areas of science fiction that I didn't know about, right? For instance, we have a columnist who writes about uh, science fiction romance novels. Not my field, not mm-hmm. even necessarily my taste. But I got to know a lot about that just through editing her work, right? Right. So um, the only condition that I put, because I'm still a volunteer, I'm not getting paid, I'm not getting that much benefit out of it. The only sort of thing I said was, look, I know your dream is to recreate the magazine at some point. If and when you do that, I'd like to have an editorial position. And I thought I would be like uh, an assistant to like a real editor. Mm-hmm. Um, so when he came back after his wife died um, and we started talking seriously about the magazine, I was surprised that he wanted me to be the editor uh, in chief uh, or whatever. But um, yeah, I've, I've done editing in the past. I edited a couple of uh, online f- fiction issues. Um, so I was ready, and that's where we are. Yeah. Okay. And so the question with that, the resonance of the name. This is a long time. You know, what is, in your mind, the importance of Amazing Stories? Well, Amazing Stories was the first science fiction magazine. There had been science fiction stories published before that in magazines, but they were, frankly, in electronics and other nonfiction magazines. They had fiction to just kind of put something different in between the uh, how to build your motherboard uh, articles. Uh, It wasn't motherboards back then, but you you get the idea. Um, How to board whatever mechanism put together they were. Um, And this does several things. For one thing, 
it gives science fiction readers an actual place to go to for their you know monthly at that point fix of science fiction uh, but it also it gives writers a uh, a focal point to come together um, and start codifying the tropes of the genre right? yeah so um, you know before then you had a lot of different writers doing all, sort of all sorts of things in their little places but uh, no one place for people to build upon what other people had been doing and to really start to, 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 to for, the meet, for the genre to gel uh, so I think that uh, Amazing Stories was important in that way and also of course because then you get Astounding you get the other uh, science fiction magazines um, and so you get this constellation of magazines who are all pulling um, in developing science fiction in a specific direction. Yeah, so yeah, I, that's the history. Now it's coming back. What's its importance now? What, what do you <laughs> hope to... Well, yeah, no, no, totally, totally legitimate question. Um, and it's sort of allied with a different question, which has got the same answer, which is, so what makes your amazing stories different from all the other science fiction magazines out there? <clears throat> so there are a couple of things that are really important to us. One is that we have found that science fiction has taken a rather dark turn lately. There's a lot of apocalyptic science fiction and just a lot of, um, you know, negativity in, in science fiction. And so one of the things that the three primary people who are behind it agree is that we want to go back to the science fiction we grew up with, the science fiction of the 60s, uh, exemplified, I think, by Star Trek, where the future is actually hopeful. It's a place where you actually would want to live, right? Uh, and so there's, there's that aspect to it. Uh, one of the advantages of the uh, website was, as I mentioned, that we had all of these contacts in different places in the world. And one of the things that we are very conscious of and aware of and, and is a very important priority to us is to get new voices into science fiction. Um, we're very committed to gender parity. We want as many female writers as we have male writers. Uh, and we want uh, the voices of minorities that maybe haven't been heard or haven't been heard enough. Um, so, you know, being at Worldcon was great because uh, I was at the, um, the Chinese party, the party for the Chinese delegation, and got to meet some Chinese writers. Uh, the um, Mexican party got to meet some Latino, mm -hmm. Latino writers. Um, and this is all going to feed into a magazine that is both forward-looking and has people you've never, may never have heard before, but who are fantastic writers who are going to show you some new things, right? And finally, you know, just the one thing that uh, that we find is true is that uh, a magazine will always take on kind of the character of the person who edits it. And uh, my background is comedy writing and humor. So I put a large emphasis on fun. Mm -hmm. All right. And so that's what we can expect. A yes. fun, new, aspirational. Yeah. I, I, you know, I like your point. And uh, Seth MacFarlane said that about the, the Orville as well, you know, that we've, we've lost that. And if you saw Tomorrowland, 
that was the point. It's too bad that not enough people saw that movie, but you know yeah. that idea. We have lost that. We need that aspiration. So, uh, yeah. when does the first issue hit the stand? Now, as Kickstarter backers, we get a digital, and, and you've been handing out a, a hard copy. But uh, the average person listening to this podcast who might be interested, when and where will they be able to find it? Uh, well, unfortunately, we do not have newsstand distribution. We don't have bookstore distribution. Um, we're hoping that uh, that we will uh, build a subscriber base. That's the best way to get the, the magazine. Um, so uh, go to our website and find our subscriber page. And that website is? Uh, Amazing Stories Mag. Uh, apparently, <laughs> yes. Well, somebody... somebody had the domain Amazing Stories. I have no idea what they're doing with it. Don't go there. That's not us. So it's AmazingStoriesMag.com, I believe. Okay. Well, then people follow that and uh, look forward to the first issue being available to everybody. I have one. I have, I will be reading that shortly. So thank you. Thank you. Thank much. you. It was a great conversation, and it's a great magazine. I, like I said, I, I thumbed through it last night. I read a couple of stories and went, good, I'm... I'm I'm committing to getting deeper into science fiction right. if I'm going to vote on on Hugo's from here on out, and so it was really cool to see to see that and to kind of it's a good mixture of old and new and and you know I'll go deeper so that was fun and so from your perspective there, Worldcon, I feel like Chris Chris Garcia like I should say so Rick yes Worldcon yes what's it like <laughs> good. <Go ahead. laughs> Well, I mean, the convention is just huge. I mean, it, it, when you think about Worldcon, it is the World Science Fiction Convention because it moves all over the world. It was last in San Jose in 2002, so it's been 16 years since since the last time. Mm-hmm. It, and since then, it's been in Australia, and most recently it was in um, Helsinki and uh no Spokane, but um, Kansas City, <laughs> the wilds of Kansas City, uh, London. Well, they've gone about as far as they can go. Yes, so I mean, yes, it's really up to date. Um, so it's it it you get not only do you have uh, different locations and perspectives and people, but um, you have an excuse to travel and and travel. We when we went to London, we went to London with 40 of our closest friends. It was like, it's a really nice experience to, to Came do Came back with only 35. Yeah. Like some people just didn't that. want to come no. back, you know. There's different, uh, yeah. Anyway, but how about this year? Instead of, uh, we've because we've had guests about Worldcon, yes. I wanted to talk about Worldcon, you know, what it is, but what it was this year in San Jose. One of the big things this year was Spider Robinson was a guest of honor. Spider Robinson, prolific uh, science fiction writer, uh, who is probably most famous for his Callahan's uh, stories? Callahan's being a bar, which into which Callahan's Cross Time Saloon. Yes, yeah. well, that's one. Uh, that's yeah, yes. But the th- that's one of the book titles. Callahan's mm-hmm. is just called Callahan's, and they they're um, often semi sweet, semi sad stories, but they often have uh, very uh, very interesting guests dropping into the bar and later later books take place outside of the bar or in an in another lady callahan's uh later on let me get the focus i mean yeah we've also talked about who the guests were how was your experience because you were running the charity auction i was running the charity auction and it was uh, i was i was really tense trying to make sure that we did a good job for our charity which was the alzheimer's association of northern california and nevada and 
you know, 30 days before, I was going, I hope I can get up to 60 items. Fandom is wonderful. In the last two weeks, I, I went up to like 135 items that had been donated. And there was some beautiful and, stuff. And, and then at the convention, many more things came in. We ended up at 160 items, give or take, including some uh, two boxes of stuff that George R. R. Martin's wife gave gave me signed books and stuff so Mm -hmm. we ended up with what i said at the time was the best museum at worldcon because we had it all laid out in tables you can walk down and look at all the stuff and then bid on it and we ended up selling all but three items clearing fifteen thousand dollars that we gave to the alzheimer's association so i was really happy with that i was really happy that we finished it up pretty much Sunday morning, so I had two days of enjoying well, World say, you myself. Talk about some of those there were signed editions of A Song of Ice and Fire, there were, hardbound. Yeah, there were hardbound. They weren't the original. They weren't like uh, noteworthy printings or anything, the standard printings, but those went for $1,500. And it's on top of these being cool items, it's also people who are, are giving in the spirit of charity. And I'd say this is where, this is in my mind, this is really one of the places that fandom shines. That when they are when they have a good, a good solid uh, cause to dedicate themselves to, they do mm-hmm. and and no, I, they give of themselves. They use their powers for good. That yes, is, and, and by powers I mean their money as well. Yeah. And, and we was, went to a party. We did go to a party. Which party did we? Oh, we went to we're the, the Hugo, Hugo Losers. Losers party. I didn't even have to get nominated. We and just lose. Had, we found you to be. A, we found somebody who could be your plus one. You could be her plus one. Was she nominated? No, she just she was just uh, All right. kind of well respected woman. So it makes it sound like I'm not a well respected man. Well, that's within all right. Fandom, I, I, within you, fandom, you know what I said. I, yeah, I, I would yeah, never yeah, want yeah, to be yeah, a, a yeah, club yeah. that would have me as a member. Indeed, so. no smoking, please. Um, that was a cool party. I mean, that was uh, we were hobnobbing. There were lots of uh, writers and other nominees for. Oh yeah, Hugos. I saw I saw a lot of the nominees, and and uh, it really it was, is the better of the two. There's a Hugo winners party, which is which has essentially one fifth the number of celebrities at it. So the Hugo's losers party is one. It's about the celebrities. It just needs to be a fun party, and that was yeah, a fun party. Yeah, I yeah. can't compare it to the Hugo winners party. The giant giant colorful robots dancing. And I I, I described them as the electric predators uh-huh because one of them had the dreads and i thought sure. for a second oh that's what it is it's all like a neon predator so yeah yeah and uh the, the but the uh the hugo award ceremony was lavish as usual uh only one person fell on the stage um but there weren't uh, there weren't too many surprises the one thing you and i talked about that i was the kind of controversy for me was for the media programs they show clips and the good place was nominated for two, and they used a clip that was a huge spoiler for the series. Won't go into for season, it. For, yeah, for season one of the right. series, right? Which so. wasn't nominated, but they chose. Uh, right. If you know the series, you know the clip, and so um, you know the twist. Yeah. Yeah. So that wasn't that wasn't it wasn't but that please, much of a surprise. Write in and tell Rick that he needs to just get off his butt and, and watch, watch it on Netflix series, yeah. because, you know. When you recommend and you tell me time and time again to watch something, I at least watch the first episode. Uh-huh. I've watched the first episode. Well, then you need to watch the second <laughs> and the following uh, 11 or 12 episodes. Right, it's right, 13. Right. And uh, because, seriously, I don't say that this often or lightly when it's got it's, – it's one of the top five television series, period, on television right now. Yeah. And – 
it's also i think when people look back it, i don't know that it would have changed the form but it certainly stretched the boundaries and when you say here's a, a sitcom that is dark and twisted and hilarious and yet absolutely sweet and truthfully about ethics you watch this you get an ethics education yeah it's truly a sitcom about something and when we talk about use your powers for good this is a show that is using its powers for good uh, so and but speaking of that our chairman kevin roach his his uh his theme for Worldcon was spectacular spectacular yes and to that effect they built a i can't remember how tall it was it was at least three stories tall electric light tower that was in the middle of the floor with light uh, light sequencing up and down the the tower with different a colors. variation on one that was a in San Jose. in San Jose yes. yes which I think is still in the historical friendship garden isn't there it? there's a model that I think is one fifth scale so it's not the original no it's Kelly not the original I didn't think it was but I, I no know. the original was down on Santa Clara and Market Street I think mm-hmm. at the corner there but uh, along with that, especially since Spider Robinson was the writer guest of honor, they recreated Callahan's, Callahan's Saloon, including a live bar and a fireplace where, if you know the series, you could you could uh, put a tip in the tip jar and get a shot glass and make a toast and throw your shot glass into the fire, just like they do in the books. Mm, okay. So, and that was a, a nice central place for people to hang out. I didn't, yeah, uh, I didn't make a toast. Well, that's your yeah. Um, and okay, truth be told, I had two, but it was not on the same day. There was a masquerade as well, a very well-received masquerade. Chris Garcia hosted the masquerade. I've got some photos, and I've written down most of his one-liners. I will be writing something up this Excellent. week. Excellent. So to, we can look forward to, to that. To capture. Because I missed it due to a, a minor crisis that yes. we had to deal with. I've got everything's okay there, but yes. yes. Um, Rick and I were on a panel together. Uh, he mentioned that earlier with the bag. Right. And uh, that was with Gail Carriger. It was uh, Spy yep. Fi. Uh, and Rudy Rucker and uh, Gerardo Horacio Porcayo. This was, to me, I like. I was thrilled that I was finally going to get to meet Gail Carriger because I know that you and, and Debbie have before, yeah. uh, and I've bought several of her books and given to my daughter, and she's enjoyed them. And as my joke has been, I, I said to M. Todd Gallaglass, like, I bought your work. I'm not going to buy it again. It's just I buy it, I give it to my son, and then I never see it again. Uh-huh. So uh, it's kind of kind of that thing. Um, but Gerardo. That turned out to me to be the most. He's a cyberpunk writer from Mexico, from Mexico, who has not yet been translated into English. Right, and I think though, and he brought a translator. He he spoke English, but he just wanted to keep keep up so he could answer for the pacing. You know, and that was that was great. But just having that perspective again, and and this is what I like. About Worldcon. Well, the panel was on on uh, spy fi It was science spy-fi. fiction thrillers, and I think that you and I both interpreted it initially the same way, which was Man from Uncle, James Bond. Right. How do how do all these gadgets work? And who isn't that fun? And right. I think, and I was probably led to. Uh, I'm going to call him out. Batten Lash had posted a photo on Facebook last week of the James Bond toy attaché case. And uh-huh. I was like, I don't have the case, but I still have everything else and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, and so I got, I, I was almost going that way of like, you know, yeah, just the toys, mm-hmm. those fabulous toys. But then to actually get into a conversation about how science fiction thrillers work and cyberpunk right. is obviously right. an area where that happens a lot, but also to get a perspective on how spy thrillers work in Mexico. Mm-hmm. 
that statement, and it, and it will stick with me for a long time, and I've been telling people in a couple of days since Worldcon, and I've actually had a few conversations about it, like what was the most interesting thing? This perspective of that a spy thriller in the United States tends to rely upon the basic belief that the government, or for at least for a long time, that the government was good. Right. And that, you know, if James Bond is saving the world, he's acting on the behest yeah. of the of the British government. Right. Whereas in Mexico, since they haven't really trusted the government since 1930, it's changed everything. I'm dying. I, like, I was writing down book titles he was suggesting, and I'm dying to find them. And I'm dying. And I, I told him and his translator afterwards, you email us. As soon as you have an American book deal, yes, and we want to give you coverage, and we want to talk about it, and I can't wait to read it. Unfortunately, I can't read Spanish, and so I, you know, I need that translation. Right, I can hardly wait. I'm, right. I'm so excited, and that's what Worldcon delivers in a way that a local con like Baycon really can't. They, they try. And this was actually on the Mexicanics initiative. Yes, talk about it. Yeah. That John Picasso. Picasso um, started where there was a Kickstarter and a number of funding initiatives to get money to be able to bring in Mexican writers and artists and, and, fans. and fans who normally wouldn't be able to come to a Worldcon, and that was, I mean, that was just wonderful. The the uh, the the idea that we bring in we we more than just making it available, we bring in people. Who otherwise couldn't couldn't make it from other countries? I, no, it was a yeah. it, that part is you know. Why and John Picasso is just such a, a wonderful guy, and, a, and he was a good host of the yeah. Hugo's. That was yeah. a, that was really uh, really entertaining. And in general, I found myself again more than I have been. But I think, and I, I don't you know I, again to compare to the smaller Baycon, or I've been to some Western cons as well. Mm-hmm. I think I was more open to, oh, people are going to tell me about books. I'm going to buy, gosh darn it. I bought, as I put on my panel after that about criticism, I said, you know, I bought certainly a lot of my literary mac and cheese, my comfort foods. Uh-huh. Uh, I picked up a couple of editions of different volumes of wild cards, which I'd gone away from for a long time. Despite, I think, feel, really liking uh, one of the writers, writers personally that were friends, right. Kevin, Kevin Murphy. Right. And, uh, but, it was like, I've just fallen away because I haven't read in so long. But this year, becoming a supporting member or a voting member has, I've read so much more science fiction right. in this last year than I have in probably the decade before, unless you're counting comics. But even then, I feel like I've fallen behind a little bit. And so that was cool. But walking around and picking up, okay, there again, things that are in my wheelhouse of like, oh, there's this steampunk thing. Um Theodore Goss had this, The Strange Case of the Alchemist's Daughter. I'd actually picked it up at Baycon, mm. but when I saw that she was going to be a guest, though I never encountered her, I still, uh, you know, I started reading it and really, really enjoying that. But on the, uh, the last day, I picked up Binti, ah. which the third volume was nominated for, uh, or was it the second was nominated for the 2018 Hugo, uh, the novella. Um, maybe it was Binti Home. Yeah. Regardless, I'm going to recommend this trilogy based on the strength of I bought it Monday night after uh, the dead dog party. I started reading it and finished it last night because it's a novella. It's like less than 100 pages. But everything that I keep touting about science fiction is what's happening in this novella Mm -hmm. of 
you are showing me a completely different perspective. There's an alien culture well thought out, but there's also a culture that really shouldn't be so alien in Africa. But when have I read a story about this this group? Uh huh. And so I really thought, you know, it's almost tragic that it has to be placed into science fiction into a galactic empire kind of story for me to suddenly find, oh, that's on my planet. And, you know, it, it was, it, 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 I'm going to mess up pronouncing her name, the writer Nanetti Okafor, I think. That's who, very close. But not close enough. So please don't get mad at me, listeners. Just write in and tell me how to say her name because I respect her immensely. What an achievement. I bought it and I'm buying the next volume immediately. And I'm, I know I'm going to binge through this trilogy. Mm-hmm. And she's writing uh, uh, one of the Black Panther, World of Wakan- I think World of Wakanda. She's writing the uh, right. for Marvel, the Dora Milaje crossover that was happening this summer. So, you know, tremendous. I've discovered a new author that I adore. And, and uh, there's still more. Like I, I walked into Books Incorporated this e- evening and went, huh. You know, like uh, the one of the novels that I that the one that won, N.K. Jemison, right? That, you know right. that she the stone the the stone sky wandering sky. I don't see. You know, I don't have the list in front of me, but I walked in. They had it, and I thought, all right, I should buy this right now and read it because I was I was really intrigued, mm-hmm. and both by who she is and and what people are telling me about this book. The only reason I didn't buy it tonight was because I'm like, I've still got so many books I bought at Worldcon that I've got to at least make a bigger dent before I start buying more. But that, Rebecca Rowanhorse winning as well. And, you know, again, I appreciated getting into why I was appreciating getting amazing stories and started. Thanks to the Hugos, I've discovered Uncanny online and want to support them and suddenly I'm reading a lot of different fiction and it, and it's just it, it's great my eyes feel very opened I met new people um you know one of the gentlemen that came to our spy fi and I had I said we had breakfast it was like well there was a table oh, yeah, like a, the Starbucks and they sat down so you guy mentioned you know, Doc Savage and then it, I had no idea he was a Doc Savage yeah. we talked for probably half an hour and he was uh, he and I talked about DocCon after the he'd panel. been at uh, he's from Reno and he had run uh, conventions in Reno. Oh. So, you know, it was just, they were telling me stories of conventions past and world cons from a couple decades ago and uh, maybe more. Yeah. And it, it's, we talked at Baycon about what he, what can do to get young fandom in. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I'm, I would only say I'm new, so I don't have the key to young, but uh, as far as, you know, getting to be part of this community but uh, it to me and i don't know if it matters to the younger but i feel like oh man there's you do see this direct line when you've still got people like robert silverberg who flat out first issue of magazine of fantasy and science fiction i ever got was in my easter basket was a preview excerpt of Lord Valentine's Castle. Great book. And I read that and immediately got that book yeah. when it came out and read all the way through Valentine Pontifex. And I know there's another Tales of Magipore I haven't read yeah. yet. 
But that's how I discovered Robert Silverberg. And even though, again, didn't meet him, it was just like, oh, my gosh, you got up to present a Hugo. Robert Silverberg's here. And you realize what an amazing storyteller he is verbally, his his story delivery is, and, and he's he such a the, dry he wit. he wrote the introduction to Amazing Stories. Ah, good. And so I read that last night and went, yeah, that's very funny. And But it also, you know, it's this line back. Mm-hmm. It's line back, and hopefully, and I think this is N.K. Jemison's speech and Rebecca Roanhorse's as well, is – and then there's this line forward. Right. And what's the, you know, what is the future really going to look like? And that's exciting to see. So, um, yeah. Great World Con. And, and next year in Dublin. And the year after that in New Zealand. And hopefully I'll be there and maybe I'll have another book to sell. I there don't know. There you go. Uh, that's a goal I'm setting for myself. Something to tout, <laughs> to justify why. Stephanie, can we go to New Zealand in 2020? <laughs> so... Anyway, thanks for listening to this episode of the Fanboy Planet podcast. And, of course, once again, anything we talked about, we did name some things specifically in our books. And if you can't find it at your local bookseller, and I'd say support your local indie bookseller, definitely. Mm -hmm. Uh, But if you can't find them there, you can go to Amazon.com, and we'd appreciate going through the link on Fanboy Planet. Uh, As I said, we're we're actually recording two tonight. Uh, Rick was kind enough to brew me a nice... Fresh cup of coffee. You may have heard me going. It's kicking in, I can through. tell. Yes. Uh, so the next episode, 521, will include another interview, which I've been looking forward to because I've been trying to set this interview up for a couple of months. And that is with, so the little preview, with Bill Morrison, who, of course, is now the editor-in-chief of Mad Magazine and was the editor-in-chief of Bongo Comics, but now uh, has just, through Titan Books, has just done a graphic novel adaptation of Yellow Submarine, the Beatles, Yellow Submarine, discovered this tonight. You have to look it up under that title. It's the Beatles, Yellow Submarine, right. not just Yellow Submarine in the book catalog. So uh, we get to talk to Bill. We had, I had a great conversation, and it's making it into episode 521, which I promise that one will seem more like a regular Fanboy Planet podcast. But thanks for indulging us tonight to talk about uh, science fiction past and science fiction future. And so talk to you next time. This is Derek McCoy, Editor-in-Chief of FanboyPlanet.com. And I'm Rick Brett Snyder reminding you to use, use your powers, powers for good. Thanks once again to the great Luke Ski for use of his music in this podcast. Visit Luke Ski at www.thegreatlukeski.com.